I'm going to fly past. I'll be back. Um, AM University. Uh, our next guest, I don't need no introduction. You know, if you know basketball, you know who Coach Bob Hurley is. Um, first of all, before we start, um, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate it with all the things that you're doing. You're still going in the community. Well, my trip, my trip's a lot shorter than your trip today. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> it was worth it. It was worth it. As y'all see, we never been in another venue before in 50-some-odd episodes, um, but this was a reason to take the drive. Um, but thank you for coming. Thank Coach Ben Gamble for uh, supporting us with this. And um, Coach Early, pleasure. Nice to meet you. Pleasure. Let's hoop. Let's talk some hoops. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> so um, when we spoke on the phone, I'm glad we didn't get too far into it because I wanted, definitely wanted to hear your opinion of, of this on camera. Um, Basketball in 2021, uh, how do you feel about it? The players, they're getting better and better, okay? The players are getting better and better. Uh, the game itself right now, I think we've gone away from the real physical basketball of 10, 15 years ago, where the ball just used to get thrown inside and it was all power basketball. We've, we've drifted away from that, I think that's good. And now, in going away from it, We've gone way too far away to uh, shooting way too many threes. You know, way too many threes are taken. And certainly taken by guys who shouldn't shoot any. The guys who are not shooting them right now. And I think, the, um, I think defensively now, officials are just uh, blowing the whistle too much. The game, you know, the NBA game now, you can't get, you go near anybody on the perimeter without being a foul. And, uh, and my biggest, single biggest peeve right now is that defensively, everybody's switching everything now, which means that everybody, all these coaches now want to have everybody kind of the same size so that they can switch stuff and they don't lose any mismatches. Yeah. But what about the Chris Pauls and what about the uh, you know, Trey Youngs of the world? Yeah. You can't be doing that with those guys. Yeah. You want to make them just get over screens and help them a little bit because if you protect them at the defensive end, boy, they give it back to you at the offensive yeah. end. Right. Do you, do you That's just the way somebody started it. Somebody started it, and then what happens is it could have been Villanova on their first championship, but it was started by somebody, and all of a sudden, everybody started doing it. And then, you know, even our U.S. team this summer, I'm watching the games, and I'm getting annoyed because we're doing the same thing, we're just switching. I think switching everything just laziness. I think if you've That's got good matchups, right. if you've got, like, Holiday, and Holiday is on, say, uh, Fournier from France, and Fournier can't do anything with him because he's just a great defender. He can't get by him. He can't get a shot off, and then goes to a ball screen, and then you switch him. So now the bigger guy is guarding Fournier, and now Holiday's guarding a big. No, no. Just try to slow up that pick and roll so that Holiday can get over and keep him on that guy. So all your great defenders, you're losing them because you now everybody is just switching, and it becomes just. It's a, it becomes lazy man's basketball. Right, right, right. Um, I, I've always heard you say, and we all should want to be this way, you, you want to adapt to the times, right? You want to stay. Yeah. But at the same time, um, how do you feel about, you already kind of alluded to this, everybody just going with the wave, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So now it's five out, we're shooting 50 yeah, 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 a game yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. everybody's telling us that's the right way. Absolutely. Like percentages. 
Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the analytics, just like in baseball, the analytics, these analytics yeah. guys, yeah. I don't think they play much. Because what people don't take into consideration is a big part of strategy in basketball is getting foul trouble, getting guys on the other team in foul trouble. Like if you have a, you got a guy now who's got a second foul in the first half, and that coach keeps him in the game. Well, you got you got to drive him. You got to take advantage of with two fouls. Is he going to play no defense? Great. Keep going to his man. Or is he going to try to play defense? Can you pick up that third foul? Right. No one in there because if everybody's shooting threes, then you can't really attack one guy. And the way to attack one guy is put him in a situation where you reverse the ball to him, you give him a side, or he brings it down, you clear, you'll clear the side, he clears the side, and he goes. And now if he's a good player, if they come and help, he'll also make a play for other guys. So that, that really bothers me. We shoot two men in. My biggest peeve, though, for sure, yeah. is watching these NBA games, watching the college games the next week or two, fast breaks, got the numbers, three on two, four on three, and the ball goes to somebody who just shoots a three. Now, it's okay if that guy shooting a three is, is Curry, <laughs> Trey Young, these guys like right. uh, Patty Mills the other night made his first seven. Right. You know, these guys that should be shooting them, okay, maybe you hold your breath and say, I don't know about that. All right, good, he shot it, like the right guy shot it. But the rest of these guys shooting it, it's just bad place. Let me ask you a question real quick. The first time I walked into a gymnasium and they ran a uh, three on two, two on one, and I saw the guy sprint to the corners, Instead of come for, I lost it. No, no, it's just not. I no, lost it. When you got the numbers, you take advantage of the numbers. The numbers should mean if you don't get a layup, you're getting a wide open shot after you try to get a layup. Or because you have the extra guy, you're drawn foul, somebody's going to shoot free throws. So and the best part about shooting free throws is if you're going to shoot free throws, you pick up a foul on the other team. And you can get your defense set. So like now on that free throw, if you're a man-to-man -man team, but you want to mess with them a little bit, now you can come out off the foul shot and maybe you do some zone press, or maybe you go half court track. But you can put that extra thing in and see if that change bothers the other team. If it does, well now you say, oh good, that's, that showed you something. Maybe we'll come back and right. use a little more of that if you don't want. But just to be, uh, you know, Letting guys run back, and as you said, run to the corner, even with the rim, sit down, wait for a shot. You know, Kyle Anderson, who's you know the only kid I have in the NBA right now, a really versatile player. He spent a whole season just standing in one corner. And a guy who's a great passer, who can get in around the basket and use his length to score, he wound up being like a situational shooter. And he's had to really change his game yeah, yeah, yeah. to be more of a three-point shooter first and then a driver playmaker second. Yeah. But initially, he had never played like that because his big asset was he was a big player who could handle, who was a great passer. Yeah. And he was a reluctant shooter, mm -hmm. but he would make shots after he looked for everybody else first. Mm -hmm. Normally, you want a guy like that on your team because mm -hmm. everybody else is looking to shoot. Mm -hmm. When you got a guy that's not looking to shoot, that's a real... That becomes an asset because now gives the team a little more balance. Um, I want to touch on um, from what I see your humbleness and humility for a second, and I'm, I'm saying that because again, I like talking to you about what's going on in 2021 because you've been around 
a lot of basketball mm -hmm. right? yeah. so and from my opinion what i see is players and coaches um extremely arrogant and feels like they have to have this bravado for everything they do which most of them never even won anything before yeah. right but I, I look at you you know like I don't know how many, I, 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 I'm saying correctly, you got 28 state championships, you got you, you won all these awards, but from afar, I've never seen you treat anybody with lack of respect. No, I think it's, it starts off with, if you use guys that, like I said, you know, clearly a retired veteran coach, I looked at the way John Wooden's UCLA teams played. I was a big Celtic fan over the all the years with Bill Russell and Bob Cousy goes way back. And then Dean, the Dean Smith Carolina teams for so long that even with individual stars like Michael Jordan and all of these other guys who played there, Larry Brown talks about this all the time. There's a certain way that you'd like your team to play. Where the game is played, there's a flow to it, you play as a fundamental. You don't have to bark out plays all the time because you can you can let them, you know, if you have an advantage and push it, you let the guys go. If you don't have the numbers, your guard is smart enough to pull it out and now put you into a half-court offense. So all of those things exist, but the respect for opponents and the respect for the game is that you want to play such a way, like we would always say, we want to come in to warm up at your gym or in a neutral place, and we want our warm-up to be so sharp that people sitting there start watching our warm-up. And as they're sitting there, they're watching the other team, they're watching us. Maybe the other team's got six guys playing way up over the rim. But we're down the other end of the floor, just like a fighter who's getting ready for the fight. And by the time it starts, we're lathered, we're ready to go. We did a bunch of little things before the game, so we covered all the basic fundamentals, got a lot of shooting in, and we're ready to rock. And once that game starts, we talk to each other. We don't talk to the referees. We don't talk to the other team. And the only one who breaks that would be me, because I can't help myself. I got to talk to those referees. Because sometimes I don't even know what sport the referee. You know, it's just like I'm not even sure what's going on. So I will kind of stand up for the team. Right. But I don't want the kids to look like they don't have control. You know, part of that whole thing, too, is that I coached in the inner city for 45 years. And I totally believe, growing up in the city, that there is a prejudice against people that are city folk that they expect to be undisciplined and that they're not going to be good students and they're going to be, be male liability on the campus. And then we would say to somebody, hey, come watch us practice, come watch us play. Go look at the kids in the weight room lifting. Go look at the kids like the Bayonne kids in study hall right now. Watch all these things too. Have a conversation with the kid. Watch him shake your hand firmly, look you in the eye, look at the way he wears his uniform. Look at all these things. Everyone every one of those disproves what you're saying about the kid in the city. There's a kid that's out on the street at midnight every night. He's running wild. That doesn't pertain. That's just that, that stereotype that people want to say because it's a little more difficult to come into the city than the truth. You know, you have to have your big boy pants on when you come into the city. You can't go into inner city Jersey City and not have a little urban experience. If you don't, you're like in fear of your experience. It'd be just like somebody going to recruit Camden there. And they basically have never been in Camden, New Jersey, or Atlantic City, or, you know, places, Trenton, places that are urban. And there's that 
expectation that's going to be a problem. Well, that's bizarre. Because people that are living in all of our cities and state are some of the nicest people in the world, but there is this built-in uh, uh, level of discomfort because they haven't lived that experience. They haven't been around enough people. So we would always say, we're crusaders for something we shouldn't even have to be crusaders about. But somebody comes in and they're talking about, well, they run a discipline program at college. I would always laugh about this. And it's a you run a discipline program, they'll come watch your practice. And then after that practice is done, you tell me this guy couldn't be your captain in two years because he's been there, done that already. And that was all we could think about. You wanted every kid to have this opportunity to play after high school, at least to play someplace in college, if not scholar. And you always wanted to straighten some of these people out. Now, it's gone on a long time. I don't think it exists as much now, but it is difficult. And it remained difficult for a long time, you know. Ben would uh, talk about kids back in years when he was, you know, helping me at St. Anthony's, but as, as, as recently as 2016, I had a kid named Javaris Hayes out of Patterson, who was the best player in the championship game in New Jersey when we played Linden for the championship game. Best player on the floor. And kids were going to schools all over the place. And I still couldn't get anybody to offer him a scholarship. He winds up going to a Division II school, after I talked to everybody that I could in the MAC conference, the NEC, all these places where he would be able to play. And after three years, what happens to his team? His team goes to Division I. And now as a senior, he leads the Division II team in Division I for the first time to a, to a conference championship. And he's the best guard in the league. Most people say he's the best player in the league. And I couldn't get anybody to recruit him because he needed most of his senior year to complete his grades. And everything that he finished with, he finished with an excellent senior year, solid SATs, and nobody played for this kid, who wound up being conceivably a player of the year in the conference. So it, it, it goes on all the time. You're, you're battling, and most high school coaches in urban areas, particularly in public schools, are battling against this, uh, this preconceived notion about what the kid is going to be before they had even met the kid, met his family, looked at his transcript, any of those things. I want to come back to that. Um, but, okay, so, so again, with, with all your accolades, you know, Naismith Hall of Fame, 28 state championships, a couple of national championships, complacency. Um, I, I was always curious about people that achieve at a high level. I get to the mountaintop because um, now you don't necessarily have, you don't know what your competition doing because you're at the top, yeah. right? And a person like you that have done so many things, um, it, it's, it's extremely, I, I would guess, it's extremely hard to stay motivated to be the best year in and year out when you don't necessarily know what the other competition is doing. How, how over years, um, did you deal with becoming complacent? Because you're human. Yeah. Right? I, think, I think the first thing is that in everything you read about, people that are, have been successful are constantly looking to see what other successful people have done. So whether it's reading about Bill Belichick with the Patriots, or whether it's looking at somebody at the college level, Nick Saban in Alabama, you're always looking to see what they do. And it always kind of gets you back to this culture. Now that's the word it's used now. 
I don't know what it was. I don't know if we had a word for it for a long time. Right. It was the way you go about doing your business. Right. And there right. was a certain thing, things were acceptable. And the biggest part of the whole thing, then would say this, one of the things we always did, we would always look at this group of kids and say, we're going to work hard for 60-some practices. After 60 practice, they turn the beginnings. We're going to be better than when the season started. Will everyone else that we're going to play against have improved as much as we were? So there'll be this thing of this cultural thing about get better every day. Don't worry about the scores and games. Just try to get those uh, watermark games during the season where you play a good team at certain points that you reach where you should be and don't lower the bar. When you say this is what I think the team's potential is, that bar stays there now and the kids never are allowed to be less than doing their best. And Coach Knight don't agree with a lot of things that you know he did uh, in terms of like his you know his ability to control his emotions and things like that. But he said, and I totally believe it, parents and teachers allow kids to just be average. When a kid would come into my gym, I would always say to him, I know that nobody at home is trying to make you the best you can be. They're, they want to maintain the relationship. Meanwhile, all I want from the kids when they're in high school is respect. And I want them to know I care about them, but that our relationship will only develop after they're gone. When they're in college, boy, we're going to be tight. When they're out of school, today I had lunch with about seven guys that played for me over the years. They call themselves the Vintage Friars. And we met today. They want to talk about everything that's been going on. And that goes on all the time. Because those guys, you talk about being fraternity members in college, and no better fraternity than the team you play on in high school. And the other part of this whole thing that's really important is senior-oriented. Your team on a given year is driven by the senior class. The senior class at St. Anthony's wanted to go out playing in a state championship game. They wanted to get to the state championship. If you could, you now could have bragging rights with anyone else. If you won the game, you're in. If you lost in the game, you at least can have a conversation with the other guys who got to the game in the past. And we had an awful lot of kids that got to those games some really good players didn't play in championship games when they were seniors in high school. And as good as they were individually, when conversations would start, particularly with guys like, say, Jerry Walker, who played on four straight state championships. Somebody start talking and Jerry would say, you didn't win it senior, did you? And it'd be this silence, and the other guys would be clearing their throats because that was going to be an uncomfortable time because right. that was the barometer. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to get better all year. The coach says, I think we have the ability here to do that. Let's see if we can get to that game and let's not worry about wins and losses. Let's worry about getting better. And if you make that your total focus every day, best practice you can have. If you have a bad practice on Tuesday and it happens, then Wednesday better be a very good practice. If you're playing Friday, Two days before the game, great practices. Day before the game, light practice, intellectual from the neck up, make sure everything's in place, scouting report, you know, the detail is done. Mm -hmm. The day after a game, light again, because mm -hmm. you're just coming off, giving, you know, taking your heart, ripping out, throwing it mm -hmm. on the court. Mm -hmm. So the next day, not expected. Mm -hmm. But that might be a study hall that day, could be a weightlifting session, and then a light practice. Mm -hmm. Well you're back to the you're back to this routine. Curfew, 
uh, dress code, all of these things you have because if you do all of those things, you got a shot at it. If you balk on some of the things, about you more than it's about uh, you know your individual rights. That's a wonderful thing. We have all kinds of conversations in this world about people's individual rights right now. Right. You know, particularly with the vaccine, whether right. people taking it or not. Right. So yes, that can happen. When an adolescent male comes to play at St. Anthony's, I don't know that we should have a, a discussion where we're having a tug, an intellectual tug of war right. with a 16-year-old. Right. I think I've been, you know, as most coaches have, we've invested more time in this process right. than the player. So what the player should do is take the information Look at the track record mm -hmm. and just go with it. When, when did you know that you could do this at a high level? I, I think that's another thing that I, I, I feel like we all, we, we all obviously because we're living, we have a purpose on this earth, right? But in my opinion, I, I think we always make a choice if we're going to live out yes. that purpose or not. Yep. You're going to go right or left, yep. right? You obviously lived out your purpose. And, um, but was it a moment that you knew? Like, because it's still, in the beginning, it's still, we don't know. No, we don't we, know. It was easier, though, when I grew up and got into coaching. There was no such thing as being a high school coach and then coaching in college. Uh, uh, Jerry Faust, was a high school coach in Indiana, okay, from Ohio, who went to Notre Dame to coach a football team. A, a total failure. Bob Wade, one of the best high school coaches in the history of our country, was at Dunbar, Baltimore. From Dunbar, Baltimore, he went to the University of Maryland. It didn't go well. In most cases, all of us growing up as uh, young coaches, we envision we're gonna do one thing. So from the time I started coaching, I grew up in the same, I lived in the same neighborhood in Jersey City that I grew up in, raised my children. I lived there for 50 years. <clears throat> no expectation, really, that I was ever going to leave that neighborhood as long as it was a, a safe neighborhood and there were schools good enough for my kids to go to. Which way I go? All three of my kids are, mm -hmm. you know, uh, college graduates mm -hmm. and uh, they're, doing, they're doing fine. Mm -hmm. But the decision to stay in the city was based on that. My personal decision to stay in the city was my wife and I we're two now in our 70s, we're two of the only people we know who decided that the problems with cities in the 80s and late 70s, 80s, there problems and people were just running from cities. And I really never saw it. I was a probation officer. I knew what the issues were in the city and I always felt the issues were solved by education. And if you can keep a kid in school, the kid is going to be able to solve a lot of his problems. So that became a big part of what we did. But I found that, and I tell people this all the time, you're always trying to find in life and you'd like to match what you're best at with what you like the most. And that's, it's, it's called your bliss. <laughs> and it's my bliss. It's, I didn't word bliss, I'm a Jersey City guy. Somebody said to me one time, this is your bliss. And I had to sit back and say, I don't know if that's a compliment, I have to ask some people yeah. about that. And I found that he's right, that I found something that I was good at. I felt I could make a difference with people, you know, opportunity playing college, uh, giving people, getting kids in the uh, high school years, getting through turbulent situations either in the household, the neighborhood, letting them realize, taking them on some traveling. We go to a tournament at Christmas time, 
letting a kid get out of the neighborhood and realize what's bigger world out there than, than my neighborhood. All of those things became part of like the winning is great. Everybody wants to coach good players. I was in Jersey City. I've always had good players to coach. Coaches don't want to come in the gym during the summer, open up the door, 16 baskets. The custodian had cleaned all the backboards. The place is immaculate, and the door opens up, and eight kids are in the gym, and there's 16 baskets. When I would open up the gym during the summer in Jersey City, there'd be this little building called White Eagle Hall, mm -hmm. this little bingo hall, and it would be about 70 feet long. Uh, it was uh, unbelievably hot in the place, poor ventilation, and there'd be 30 guys there. And it'd be 30 guys there because I would only let 30 come in at a given time. But maybe before that, I had a younger session and there was 20 there. And those 20 were going to hang around and hope that they could join part of that 30. So this thing was going on for a very long time where I had kids that inspired me. Kids that I, that I coached from the very beginning through my entire career. I had kids that were really good. I could use David Rivers as one of then teammate of Ben in high school. David Rivers was worth coaching for the entire 80s, and he graduated in 84. If nobody else played for me from 1984 on, just the Dave Rivers, St. Anthony's experience, watching him at Notre Dame for four more years, and then playing the NBA, those years were worth every moment we spent with uh, David on academic stuff, uh, helping him with other things outside of basketball. And those things are like, they're powerful. They're powerful because when you get back with those kids and you've been the high school coach, the college coach recruited you. The high school coach will help to raise you. You know, the high school coach is there with you. You have time and you have to make some decisions about things. That high school coach is there. And, uh, and they remember that because they remember when. And each kid, Jerry Walker, David Rivers, whoever it is, Ben Gamble, everybody will remember the time that they were knuckleheads and they had have a meeting with me in a room and we had to talk it out or it might be a little more intense. I had to go to the house and I had to sit down with the family and we had to go through the entire thing until we could come to an understanding of what this child needed to do from this point. And then from those conversations to guys coming back and saying to me, Coach, you got soft. Your practices now, and every one of them, all come back. Everybody come back and say, damn, it's not like the old days. And I'd say, well, no, it's really like the old days, except that you, when you were this age, thought anything that I was doing was difficult. Whereas now, you're older and more mature, and you see what's going on, and you say, oh, okay, this is uh, it's exactly what he should be doing, but maybe he's not pushing him as much right now. But it might have been a day that they came, it was one of the light days. We may be playing tomorrow, or it's a day after a good game, so it's going to be a light practice. They don't think that there ever was a light practice. They think the right. practice they ever had right. was like, uh, I should have had diapers, right. you know, right. charging me with uh, things for just how hard the kids had to work. <laughs> I think this last question is a great segue, um, wrapping this up. So, um, Again, I'm, I've always, uh, I, I look at coaches from afar, and um, again, their mannerisms, how they go about their, their life. Um, obviously, on court, you, you did you had a lot of success, but um, what you do in the community, off the court, is what uh, made me 
the my wish story the most because again I come from Camden. I was born and raised there and um everybody has so many things going on, kids kinda get lost at times, right? Um for fifty plus years Every time I read about you, every time I, I, I saw you, you, you've always served the community. And people, people don't realize about this coaching thing that it's, it's not like you come in here and practice for two and a half hours, you turn the lights off and it's, it's, it's over, and you wait till the next day. This is a 24-7 job. Well, as we're sitting here talking, Ben right now has had a study with here in Bayonne Tech, the technical gym right now, and Bayonne High School kids, this is his second year here, study hall. Could have been a weight training day, all right? And they might have a they might have a four league game. I don't know whether it's tonight. It might be Saturday. Mm -hmm. They're playing someplace. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain way you go about things. And in that, it's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to do all these things. Mm -hmm. But those who do, at the end of it, appreciate everything that was done. Do they appreciate at the time? No. Does any one of those kids there appreciate a study hall right now? No. No. They will when grades come in. Yeah. They will if somebody now asks for their transcript and the transcript is looking good and all of a sudden, you know, you can have a conversation with somebody at home and say, you know, I think uh, whether it's Phoenician College or the South of Philadelphia, somebody I think is going to offer a scholarship shortly and then you say, you know how much that's going to be worth? Two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand dollars, and if they do a real good job, and if they graduate in three and a half years, you can actually start graduate school and be actually working on your masters already on their dime. And talk about it. Would you ever envision that for your child? And they laugh because you know you're looking at the kid growing up. And unless they know these things exist, you can't aspire to do something that you don't know is a reality. And as soon as you find out you're a freshman at St. Anthony's and you get in there and the college coach is coming in and you're like there as a freshman and you're looking around and the door comes uh, Mike Krzyzewski and the door comes uh, Kevin Willard and the door comes Mike Jarvis. All these guys over the years are in the building and they're walking around and you're looking around and you want to know like, who they're here to see because that's cool. But then you also have the coach, your freshman coach, JD coach is talking about you know what kind of transcript that kid has? He's in the National Honor Society. He had enough college prep classes after three years. So now he is selecting a college. He's not hoping that he can get into a college. No one knows any of that stuff. With high school freshmen, you can see the tip of your nose. Right. So that all became part of this whole thing. Right. Did you want to visit your life to go this way? I mean, did you envision your life to go this way? Like, I'm, 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 I'm talking about it. My, my wife and I, you know, as I say, my wife and I now, in our age, we will look at each other. She met me in the playground when I was running the summer basketball league in Greenville, pretty close to where Ben grew up. I grew up a little bit further south. So the poor woman, she met me. When she met me, I was all sweaty, whistle around my neck. As soon as we were done playing, I was playing college, I was going to play full court until, uh, until almost 10 o'clock at night, and then the cop would come around, knock the fence, we'd have to shut up for the night. This is what she bought into. So that's how we started this thing. We look back now, and I don't even regret my life. It was an amazing ride. If I was just like any of the guys who were my friends, and just stayed in it for a long time, and then left it with all these relationships, that would have been great. But I managed to do it in one place for 50 years. 
and I've lost him coach 45 years. Uh, just a great run and memories that I can tell you stories about my freshman team my first year, or I can tell you a story about my last varsity team losing our last game against Hudson Catholic with the terrific team they had, but only a four-point game, and how if our free-throw shooting was better, and if they didn't trap the pick-and-roll and really bother us, who knows what would happen? And some would say, how can you remember this stuff? Because you've got to do it. And we felt so good about how, in most cases, how we did things against whoever was put in front of us. And that's something you remember, you remember that piece of life. Again, I appreciate you coming on. Um, again, looking at you from afar, seeing you at coaches' clinics, still taking notes, still working on your craft every day, seeing you out in the community. I just wanted to let you know it's really inspiring. Thank you. Um, we need more life. Thank you. We need more life. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. Hey, I had fun now. Just now, hope the trip home is. Uh, oh, yeah. You got a one point one one oh one point five on, and then check out. The okay. Uh, that's All going. right. See. Yeah. That was thing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. Don, I went to Don Bosco Ramsey the other day, and I did their practice Tuesday. Okay. And I get out of there at 4:30, and I'm saying, should I go now? I said, Route 17 is going bad. So I went over to watch the football team practice for an hour. Then get in the car at 5:30, and it took me an hour and a half to go from uh, 20 miles from uh, you know Ramsey to Jersey City. Ah. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I left at like 1.30, so I, I didn't know what the traffic was going to be like, so I, I made sure I got out of there.